Welcome back to This Week in Film. It is the weekly podcast where we get together and talk about the movies we've seen over the past seven days. I'm Nick Panunto, joined as always by Midwest Matt Lauer. Matt, how's it going? It's going all right, Nick. What's shaking? Oh, not much. Is that supposed to rhyme? It, 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 yeah. Oh, good, good one. I, you know, it came to me. Sometimes these things just hit you like a bolt of lightning, or as they say in Tremors, stampede. <laughs> Tremors is a Kevin Bacon. It hangs together so well. There you go. Anyway, there you go. I'm all right, Nick. How are you? I'm also good. I have seen quite a few movies this week, and from what you've said to me, so have you. Yeah. Although I do know that a few of the movies we've seen, we've both seen. Let's All end the mystery and say what we have watched. <laughs> Okie dokie. I'll start with me because I am. I'm still working on some coffee over here. So, uh, listeners, good luck. So, I saw Shaun of the Dead, Ooh. The Gentleman, Ooh. Poltergeist. Which one? The first one, the original. Ooh. <laughs> the Fanatic. Starring John Travolta and written and produced, I think, by Limp Biscuit guy, Fred Durst. Written, produced, and directed by Fred Durst. Right. Oh, no, it was produced by everyone. But anyway, we'll come back to that later. And something that I guess is a movie called <laughs> Trained. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I have also seen many movies, as I said. I saw The Lorax from 2012. Um, a movie called hold on to read the whole thing a movie called fate slash stay night colon heaven's feel dash one presage flower from 2017 what <laughs> yeah we'll talk about it yeah i guess so <laughs> i watched the hole in the ground nice I mean, ooh. <laughs> I saw what is apparently a short film called Trained. Mm, mm. And I watched The Fanatic. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to save The Fanatic for the end. That sounds right. And we'll save Trained for right before The Fanatic. And then before that, we'll talk about The Hole on the Ground. I'm pretty sure you've seen Shaun of the Dead. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I'm pretty sure you've seen Poltergeist. Oh, all right. Well, then, all right. Let's, uh, I guess I'll start. Then. Let's start with Whack, Volume 2, The Seven Seals, whatever you do, whatever all you said. That was a long title. We're going to start with The Lorax. Oh, there you go. <laughs> from, from 2012, directed by Chris Renaud and Kyle Balda, stars Zach Afron, Taylor Swift, Danny DeVito, a bunch of other people, Ed Helms. This is a Dr. Seuss animated adaptation of the book The Lorax, which is an environmentalist book about don't kill the environment. And this was cute. It's just the perfect length. It's just an hour and 26 minutes long, and the animation is really good. It's a little too clean, uh, I think. It's just a little too polished. Nothing has any kind of a wear and tear to it, which I found was distracting. Mm. But I guess, like a Dr. Seuss book looks... Ugly. Like they all look... They look like they're made with colored pencils or something. Yeah, yeah. Like they're ugly. Yeah. And like that's part of the charm of them. They're, 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 they feel like they're out of the 70s which i guess they are. yeah 
they're all kind of gross. And there's a bunch of Dr. Seuss that I just can't stand. My kids have a bunch of Dr. Seuss books, and a lot of it is just the laziest thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> most of the words aren't words. They're not words, and it's just like, and the Farlax met the Clorlax, and the Clorax said the Farlax, I'd like to have some Clorax, because he's trying to stop the coronavirus. Uh, the last word I said was Clorox. In case that wasn't gotcha. Gotcha. clear, it's, the president says you should inject it into your body with yeah. UV light. Yeah, and shoot, shoot UV light onto your organs. Right. They're looking into it. I am willing to do whatever as long as he does it first. <laughs> so that's one of the things that's a little distracting about this movie is while it is gorgeous to look at, it doesn't look like a Dr. Seuss story and it's just very clean but it's it's beautiful at the same time but i think a little grime would would go a long way Mm -hmm. the story itself is is your pretty much your basic environmentalist kind of kid story where everyone lives in this town called thneedville and it's run by this little man i think who's played by rob riggle who sells everyone canned air like in Spaceballs, because the air is so polluted. There are no real trees anymore. They've all been chopped down to make stuff. And everything in the town is plastic and fake because anything real is dirty and gross. So Zac Afron plays the main guy. He's really into this girl down the street who's played by Taylor Swift, who's not a very good voice actress in this movie. She's kind of she's kind of bad. <laughs> but I really like Taylor Swift, so I'm gonna give her a pass. <laughs> so <laughs> that documentary really worked on you. A hundred percent. She's trying her best. And Danny DeVito plays uh, most much of this movie is told in flashback by uh, Ed Helms, who is the one who destroyed the environment uh, unintentionally slash intentionally. Like greed got the better of him, and before he knew it, all the trees had been chopped down. And the moral of the story is. You don't know what you got until it's gone, and then there you go. Do they, and then, do they play that yellow taxi cab? They don't. Really? But I kept thinking about it the whole time, yeah. Ed Helms does sing this one song that was actually pretty cool, where he's like rocking a guitar the whole time. I was like, this is a fun song. And he's got on this, what's the guy who runs the city of Oz? Oz? The Great and Powerful Oz? Is wizard? that his name? The Wizard. <laughs> he's got this green jacket, like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> What? Who's who's that guy who's in charge of the Wizard of Oz? The Wizard of Oz. He just looks like the Wizard of Oz. And uh, he sings this song that's pretty good. The music in the movie's pretty good. There's a lot of really good visual gags and, and whatnot. But for the most part, it's it's a pretty good kids movie. It's like a fern gully for 2012. And it's, it's passable. So I, I think that might be I, all I have about I, I've it. I've not seen this movie, but I do have a story about it nonetheless. My sister lives in LA. And so she has these like... She runs across celebrities pretty frequently. And she was at the airport and she saw Danny DeVito there in line or something. And and people behind him, there's a family couple and a kid, they approached him and they were like, hey, we just wanted to introduce you if it's okay to our kid because he just watched the Lorax and really liked it. And Danny DeVito like turns around and raises his arm is in the air and he's like, I'm the Lorax. I speak for the trees. <laughs> uh so you know <laughs> at least in this instance uh sounds like a pretty cool dude danny devito seems like a great guy 
Every everything I've heard about him, he, sure, he seems sure like a you, pretty cool dude. I'm sure you keep up on his love life too. Do you know if uh, he and Rhea Perlman worked things out? I think they did. Well, good. It says Rhea Perlman is his spouse. All right. Well, then, then they must they be perfectly happy. Oh no, oh. they reconciled in 2013, and then they separated again in 2017 on amicable terms. Although the two no longer live together, Perlman said she had no intention of divorcing DeVito. I don't see the point in that. I'm sad. If you're going to be separated and you're not going to live together and you broke up, (laughs) go ahead and get the divorce. It might be cheaper to stay together. Uh, Well, All right. Well, that was Divorce Corner. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to say Divorce Court. (laughs) Oh, wait, I did one order. Actually, I think I did the people's court. People's court, yeah. (laughs) Why are these things things anyway? The next movie that I watched was called. Yeah, you better clear your throat before this. Fate slash stay night colon heavens feel dash one presage flower from 2017. This was directed by Tamanori Sudo, and it is a anime movie that my wife and I knew nothing about. We just saw the title and thought, this sounds ridiculous. Let's watch this. And we put it on, and my God, was it the most confusing two hours of our life. It took us two nights to watch it oh, because Lord. we our children woke up, so we had to uh. like attend to them. And then we were like, we're finishing this, right? And my wife is like, absolutely, we're finishing this. So going into this completely blind was the worst possible idea. Apparently, this is based on a TV show, which is based on a PS2 game, which is based on an adult PC game. (laughs) So, according to the Wikipedia... Wait, like, like adult as in, like, a sex game? Something like that, yeah. According to the Wikipedia, which is not very clear, but apparently, like, it's been retooled so many times that it's it's like its own thing now. If only there were something to indicate that in the title. <laughs> it's a it's a movie based on a show based on a show based on a game that's based on a game. Here's the description of the movie from the IMDb. Movie adaptation of the third route of Fate Slash Stay Night. And I have no idea what that <laughs> <All right>. means. <laughs> so the first night we watched this, we watched an hour of it. And we have no idea what's going on. It doesn't help that everyone has uh, Japanese names and many of them sound very similar. So you're just trying to keep track of... To, to you, a white man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to, to me... American Delaware Nick, the Japanese names all all seem to start with the letter K, and it's very confusing to keep track of everybody. It's like a Game of Thrones. It's like it's like jumping into season eight of Game of Thrones, and you're like, "What the hell does Eddard mean?" You know, I uh, I may have had a similar experience when I was um, in like fifth grade, and I tried reading Rising Sun, and I was like, I I really had a hard time just keeping track of the names because my my brain kept shortening them. But it was like shortening them in similar ways. So I was halfway through the book and I was like, oh, I really don't know who's who. Yeah. I was saying to my wife, because we're watching it with the subtitles on, and I was like, I think that this is going to come across as racist and I don't intend it to be, which is always a great way <laughs> to start a statement. But if you're, if you're translating everything into English in a, a foreign thing, why don't they translate the names into like, like, why can't you change... 
uh, Sukaro into Sarah. And, and I assume it's because it's a, it's a noun, which is why you can't just change the name of someone. And also it would get very confusing for whoever's doing the translation to keep track of two sets of character names for everybody. I mean, but you could make two word documents or something and just do a replace all on each side or I guess all the names on one, one document. I don't know. It would make it easier for me to follow along if, in the English translation of something, everyone had English names. Don't get me wrong. I don't have a problem with Japanese names. I was just, it's just very hard to keep track of everyone's name. Right. And also it's stupid to jump into the movie based on a show, based on a show, <laughs> based on a show. What, what but drew you to it when the explanation of it was not the title. really, Oh, of course. All that said, so that we watched the first hour and then we kind of went to bed. And while we were laying down on my tablet, I looked up the Wikipedia for this thing because I was like, I, I can't, I have to know what the hell is going on. Give me some guidance here, Wikipedia. Right. And the Wikipedia helped a whole lot to the point where when we watched oh, it good. the next night, like we watched the, the second half the next night. It made a whole lot more sense, but still it was like watching higher or read, trying to read hieroglyphics and you're like, Oh, this one symbol means dancing. The whole thing makes sense now. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, I don't, I am not a hundred percent lost anymore. So it's, this is a better experience, but here's the plot essentially. Oh God. <laughs> oh no. There's something called the Holy Grail War. Okay. And every 60 years, it gets fought by somewhere between 8 to 10 contestants. And they all fight in this one town in Japan. So I, it's like I a, say it, it's a tournament. Kind of. And I can't figure, I guess it's to the death. But here's the thing about it is that the people who are fighting the war. Yeah are called masters and they're like wiz they're like wizards or as the show calls them mages and okay. what they do is they control a servant and the servant is the spirit or embodiment of a hero from the past there's this like the main character's servant is this blonde called saber and she's like real good with a sword and she can do healing and stuff and there's another guy called archer and then there's a lancer and there's assassin and like there's there's like all these different categories really one of them is this makes you wonder what the sex game version was <laughs> You're trying to figure out all this stuff. And like the main characters are like, I can't believe I have to battle all these people. And you're like, how come this guy's never doing anything? And it's always the blonde doing his fighting. And so what you learn is that the masters don't really do any fighting. This is like Pokemon. They're basically the battery for the servants. Like they provide the energy to the servants yeah. who do the fighting for him or her. I'll bet My you it God, started as, as, as a sex game. It was a Pokemon game. <laughs> it's It feels kind of like that where it's like, Saber, I choose you. And so that's that. So anyway, we watched this, this whole thing and it's pretty compelling to the point where we want to watch the second movie. Oh, but I, I don't, I don't know where to find it there. Oh yeah. There's a bunch of them. I and see. so we're like, we're like going to watch it. And then we're like, I, I found out that on Netflix, the show exists and there's like 
two or three different iterations of the show. So we put on the very first episode of the first series, which is called like Fate Zero or something like that. And we watched the first episode and my God, does everything make sense now? Like the first episode explains everything to the point where we're like, oh, okay. And it also is like 20 years in the past. So it's like, oh, it's like I said, it's it, watching this movie was the equivalent of watching the final season of Game of Thrones and going, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Right. Why is he doing that? Because the show, the movie does not hold your hand at all. Is, uh, is the television show so, also Japanese? Yes. Okay. And I'm into it. I, I'm totally into it. We watched the first episode and I was like, man, I am, I'm going to finish this. This is good. Do they, do I, they look similar? The, the show versus the movie? Yes, they do look similar. The movie clearly has a much higher budget. And mm-hmm. uh, that's one thing that I would like to point out is that the animation style in the movie is gorgeous. It's got like a few different styles to it. Some of it is not so great CGI kind of animation, but other parts are like this hyper realistic looking art with your traditional looking anime characters. And it really works like it looks stunning. So I really enjoyed that. The voice acting is really good. It's just like a lot of little things that they do where it's, I feel like in an American movie, they would just, it would just be silence or there'd be music playing where you don't hear like the character breathe or something where like he's like trying to fix something and you just hear him go like, (sighs) just like a thing like that. Yeah. And it's just like a little thing that like really pulls you in a little bit more. This is a a really well-made movie. It is confusing. I've never been more confused watching something, but it is really compelling. And like, if you like let yourself get pulled into it where you, where you just decide I'm going to watch this and just be confused. You'll, you'll have a pretty good time. I think if you, if you're looking for a mind boggling evening, yeah, check out, check it out. Fate. But don't watch the but, cartoon first or you'll know what's going on. Right, yeah. I, I would recommend watching it the way we did, where you have no idea what's going on because the level of confusion you feel is unmatched until you watch the movie Fanatic. Hey, has life been making too much sense to you lately? Is everything too normal? Or fuck your head up with this because I know you're all living a normal life right now. Hey, wait, so so back up for a moment. It, what was the name of the show once it was turned into a show? There are two or three versions of the show. The first instance or the first series is called Fate Zero okay. or or something like that. And it's on Netflix. And then the second series is called like Fate slash Stay Night Heavenly Sword or something like that. Oh, they, they still had um, a hard time narrowing it down. It's the, the titles just keep getting longer. Like the second movie, which came out last year and has a higher rating than the first movie, is called Fate Slash Stay Night Heaven's Feel 2 Lost Butterfly. Massage flower. <laughs> I, I can't wait to get into this sh- like this show. Like I'm going to go. I'm going deep on this one. I've, I've already decided that that's, uh, that's my new thing. Gotcha. But I won't watch the second movie until I catch up. So you'll have to stand by for Fate Slash Stay Night Heaven's Feel 2 Lost Butterfly. <laughs> You have seen films. Wait, wait, maybe before we move on, isn't there another movie that you also watched that wasn't on your list? Some sort of sex movie that you also told me to watch 12 minutes of? Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't finish that, so I I forgot about it. Ah, um, I see. But did you watch the first 12 minutes of it? I did. 
<laughs> yeah. Did. All right. So what's it, what was it called? Sinner? Uh, nymphomaniac something or other. Diary of a Nymphomaniac? Sounds right. Ah, here it is. Sinner, the secret diary of a nymphomaniac. Or from its French title, Le Journal Intimate de Nymphomaine. From 1973. As Matt said, we both only watched the first 12 minutes of this movie, and wow, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I, I I don't know that I, I had as weird of an experience with it as you. I, I just kind of was like, well, maybe because you told me, like, this is going to be super confusing or something along those lines. But I was like, all right, so uh, we're in a weird bar where there first is a sex act and then music, and now this woman who seems like a sex worker is going to go home with this dude or to his hotel room. And, and then, then she, yeah, the, the, the most confusing, I think it really got was that I was like, okay, so she's going to kill this guy. And then no, she kills herself and frames him by calling the police right before she dies. Yeah. Did I mean, watch, the response time the, on the uh, police there is just, wow. If you're going to get attacked, that's the city to do it in because they are there pronto. Did you stick around for the police scene where he's with the detective in the in the police station? I think we got 13 minutes into it, so maybe. Where the one dude's like, just confess. <laughs> and he's like, I didn't do anything. And the cop's like, ugh, you're really, you're really busting my balls here. Just confess so we, can be mo- so we can move on with this. And then he keeps looking over at the guy who's like typing a f- report on a typewriter. And he's like, you got any evidence yet? No. How about now? Oh, Still no yeah. Right. They're doing like an interrogation in his office. And then they're like, well, the autopsy says. And I'm like, wait, what? They did an autopsy already? What the yeah. hell? Anyway. Yeah. So I just thought it was so confused. Like I was the most bizarre thing I've seen since Fate Stay Night. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we covered that. Yeah. On, uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to go with Poltergeist because I literally wrote down no notes on Poltergeist. 1980. <laughs> directed by Steven Spielberg, I think. Uh, no, it's no, a, no, no. Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. But then Steven Spielberg told everybody that he basically directed it. And then Toby Hooper was like, hey, man, what the hell? And then he was like, oh, sorry, I take that back. At least this is the story I've heard about it. Wow. I have seen this movie a, a ton of times. I saw it a lot of times as a kid. And then I watched it like, oh, I want to say like 15 years ago with with Elise and Leslie I sister yeah yeah and uh Hi, Elise. I think we watched the the first one and the second one I don't know that we got around to watching the third one um, I've never seen any of the sequels oh the second one's pretty good the third one's not great or at least I think the second one's pretty good because I also remembered Poltergeist being great and it didn't hold up as well as I expected it, it's not bad but I I remember feeling like it hung together better like it was a, a pretty coherent story and um, mm-hmm. it, I guess it is, but it seems like it, people sat around a room or uh, the writer just had a bunch of different ideas that they brainstormed, like what kind of creepy stuff could happen if there was a poltergeist? And then they went, let's do all of those. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it seems a little hodgepodgey. The actors, I feel like everybody's really into it. I hate saying that the little girl isn't that great because I know she died. The little Her- girl died? Yeah. This movie had a lot of a, a lot of death going on. I know the older girl died. Yeah. The older sister got murdered by her boyfriend, I think. And then the little girl, after the third movie, she died of 
in, in illness. I don't think she was murdered or anything like that. I think I had heard once that she had drowned, but I think the actual story is that she died of an illness. Here's the plot. Craig T. Nelson, Mary Beth, and the <laughs> kid actors. <laughs> There's They got three kids, an uh, older daughter, son, who's probably about, I don't know, nine, maybe. He's at that age where your front teeth are really big compared to the rest of your teeth. And then little girl who's like about five. Maybe four. I don't really. I'm not good with ages of kids. She could be one. No, she's not one. She can talk. My my coffee's kicking in here. <laughs> <laughs> They're living in this housing development that the husband is part of developing and selling. It's weird because it's kind of like they're a realtor, but it's also it seems like he's got some part in the design in some way. And they start having weird stuff happen in their house, like stuff's moving around, and they try to pull in some investigators to come find out what's going on because their daughter goes missing and they're, they're not quite sure what's happened because I don't think anyone's in the room with her at the time. But while her brother's being eaten by a tree, she gets sucked into the closet and they're trying to figure out how to communicate with her and get her back. And throughout the movie, while that plot is proceeding, there's just lots of crazy stuff happening in the house. Like things are coming to life. And I think that's one of the things that makes it feel very hodgepodgey is that like the things that happen don't have the same quality to them. To my understanding, poltergeists are spirits of a sort that can just move things around. But in this movie, they also can make a tree sentient and try to eat a boy. (laughs) And there are some weird behaviors by the family members that are kind of like the horror movie sort of thing where you're like, that's a pretty dumb decision where they're just like, hey, you just got eaten by a tree. We're going to leave you by yourself right now while we go look for your sister. Just hang out here. I I think in the same room that you got sucked out by it or eaten by a tree from uh, hang out with your clown puppet yeah and there's this clown thing that's just like sitting in a chair creeping out the kid and i'm like why does this kid own this clown and why is it sitting in a chair staring at his bed when every <laughs> night he wants to cover it up so yeah it's it's got a lot of jankiness to it but it's still pretty charming the special effects are very old because it's an old movie but i found them to be and karina said something similar she had never seen this before but both of us were like you know the the special effects may not look real but they're still effective they're still creepy kind of like the ghost at the end of uh, raiders of the lost ark where all the spirits are shooting and beams and lights are flying out all over when they open the ark spoiler alert for that movie don't look at it and the one ghost kind of comes up to the screen and like looks into the camera and you're like oh that's that's got a creepiness to it it's kind of like that there's some pretty creepy stuff and i didn't yeah, I I still thought it was a, an enjoyable movie, but I, I remember thinking it was a really, really good, well-edited or well-edited uh, in terms of the writing movie, and it's actually a little little funkier than I remember. So I would definitely say still go back to it. I wouldn't say it's it's not, you know, worth seeing again. You're not going to, like, hate your childhood or resent it or anything like that. But if you do go back, don't expect it to be quite as good as you remember, because you're probably going to... Maybe some of it's that movies have become a bit more streamlined or something, or at least the good ones, but it might not hold up exactly like you expect. But Hmm. I still enjoyed it, and I still would recommend it. And even if you haven't seen it before, it's worth seeing, you know, even if it's not something that you just liked as a kid. So check it out. Yeah, I've watched that definitely since I moved into my house, which is going on 10 years now, but... I remember watching it the last time I saw it and thinking, 
man, I love this movie. And I agree with you. Like the script is kind of all over the place and it just kind of, it feels more like vignettes mm-hmm. of everything. Yeah. But I always kind of associated that with, it's not just one ghost haunting the house. It's like a whole bunch of them. And that's why everything is different. Like there's like the playful ghost. There's the vindictive ghost. There's the horrifying tree eating people ghost. There's the weird backyard pool that swallows you ghost. It's not just one thing that's attacking the house it's a whole bunch of them and i've also always loved the line you move the tombstones but you left the bodies like i think that's so great craig t nelson is fantastic in this movie he's so great it's a, it's a shame he's a crazy person now because i really liked liking craig t nelson you're right about there being a lot of different ghosts but they do say in the movie that only one of them is bad oh do they yeah, they're like, yeah, she's surrounded by a bunch of ghosts. They don't really know that they're dead yet or that they need to cross over. And they're sort of attracted to her because she's got living energy. But then there's this real bad one. The the other thing that doesn't make any sense is doesn't the mom start putting like a helmet on the kid so that the ghost can slide him across the floor slide her across the floor yeah she puts a little uh, football helmet on her and she's like watch and then she's just sliding across the floor yeah see i don't know if you remember me telling you but like a couple months ago we had some paranormal stuff happening around our house you did not mention that oh well like at one point my wife walked past the bathroom door while i was in the bathroom and i was and i didn't know it was her and i was like what the hell was that and like I tiptoed into the bedroom and I was like, Jill, are you in here? And she goes, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. Because she walked away from the bedroom when I was in the bathroom. And I'm like, did you just, did you just walk past the bathroom? And she goes, yeah. I was like, oh, thank God. Because if you had said no, we have to get out of the house. <laughs> like, I don't know that that counts as paranormal. No, no. It was, it was part of a long string of creepy things that were happening in my house. <laughs> it was, there was paranormal stuff going on. Like what? My wife walked by me in the bathroom and it turned out it was her. Uh, it's a, it's a long story. I'll get into it another time. Fair but, enough. Uh, there were like five or six separate incidents where I was like, something's going on. <laughs> and then like, that was the last thing where I was like, all right, we got to get out of this house. If she says she didn't just walk past the bathroom. And then this lady's like getting pushed around her kitchen by ghost going. Wee! <laughs> and I'd be like, get out of the house. <laughs> like like there's no good will come of this. Well, the, yeah. And there is something to the fact that like, I guess they stay in the house because the girl went missing from the house and they can sort of hear her and like feel her presence. But at the same time, at some point in the movie, they like send the kid, the son to, I don't know whose house they don't say, they just send him in a taxi, like him and the dog. They're like, see you later. No real explanation for where the older daughter is. And they never call the police too. So, and I understand that if you were to call the police, you might be like, look, this is going to sound pretty weird. But at the same time, it seems like something you would still do. Get something on paper. That way, when the police come to investigate your tree eaten son, they can be like, well, they did call about the tree. Well, devouring people and and here's here's the other thing it's not like the police would be like oh yeah you got any proof and they couldn't walk them upstairs to the closet and be like yeah look at this lightning tornado in the closet (laughs) this is uh weird right i i think the police would be like yeah you know we've never seen that before we we might not just 
send you to jail. I feel like it would be like a Chief Wiggum situation where he's like, yeah, 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 the tree ate your son, uh-huh. He hangs up the phone and someone else calls back and says, the TV ate our child. Yeah, 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 the TV ate your child. What's everybody taking crazy pills tonight? That was my fantastic Chief Wiggum impression. <laughs> it was all right. You, you get a pass. I yeah, think that's Ralphie. all I got to say about Poltergeist for now, especially since I got no notes. Okay. All right. Well, then I guess let's talk about the hole in the ground. All right. So you talked about this movie last week. Yes. It's from 2019, directed by Lee Cronin. It stars a bunch of Irish people. It stars the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch before Jon Snow takes, or the guy who plays the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch before Jon Snow takes over is in this movie for some reason. Really? Yeah. He's the old man who's the husband of the old lady. Oh. So I did not love this movie as much as you did. Yeah. I thought it was good and it was entertaining. I thought it's well made, but I got a lot of problems with it. I agree with you that it is a, a very simple story and it's it's well executed, but there are a lot of plot holes and unnecessary moments that never add up to anything. And uh, I found that to be very distracting. That being said, I would say check it out. It's pretty creepy and it's pretty effective as far as a, a sort of horror movie goes. Like there are definitely it's definitely very tense and I did enjoy it, but I don't think I enjoyed it as much as Matt did. Now we're going to get into spoilers about it. So from from here on out, put on your spoiler heads for the rest of this episode. We're in Spoilerville population. You the, the first problem I have yeah. is the head injury she has. What is up with that? Oh, I think the implication like, there is that she was hit by the husband. Right. Like maybe that's but why she been, finally left him. But it's been like eight weeks and she's still got this open wound on her head that's like bleeding still. Like, I think what the movie's trying to establish is a little bit of confusion over whether or not she's got head trauma and is what she suspects actually happening is the kid really hers or is she just like a crazy lady now because she's got a lot of trauma in her life including this active head wound that just bleeds randomly and that head wound thing comes to nothing like it doesn't it doesn't come to anything which was a huge waste of time i just took it as exposition yeah but then it didn't lead to anything like i would have appreciated like i would have liked it if it if see the thing that i thought was going to happen this whole movie is that the kid is hers and she's just crazy. And then at the end, when she burns down the house, I thought they were going to cut to her just holding nothing. Instead of her actually holding her real kid, she burned down the house with her actual child in the basement because she's crazy. And that's not what happens. It's just that the kid that came out of the massive crater in the forest <laughs> yeah. is just an evil demon. And I don't, I don't know. I got a lot of problems with, with the last 30 minutes of this movie, but the first 60, pretty good, pretty effective. It doesn't really lead to anywhere, but I was definitely very tense. Like, I I scared myself a couple of times. When you said the thing about I wish the lights were on, I was like, oh, yeah, I could totally see that. I'm glad <laughs> the lights are on. And then the, uh, the, the other thing is the kid, mm -hmm. he's pretty good. Yeah. But they definitely give it away too easily that he's not her kid. Like there's something wrong with him. Like you want um, it to be more gradual. I I wanted it to be more ambiguous where you where you don't know. 
Like, I think the mm. movie was unsure of where it wanted to go with it. And they just kind of decided, all right, we're just going to go with the fact that it's not his kid and she's got to come to terms with that. And then the kid who's like super strong. I like that. I thought that was funny. I made a joke about the kid from uh, Superman Returns, how he's like crazy strong for no reason. Throws her across the room. <laughs> Throws her across the room. He like slams the table and I'm like, oh. It's not her kid. The The other thing that I thought was unnecessary was the whole old lady part of the movie. The old lady who who's like, it's not my son. And then the dad runs over the kid with the car and the whole thing with all the mirrors and stuff. I think if that old lady didn't exist and the main character just starts suspecting that her child isn't her child, it would have been more interesting because it's like she meets this crazy lady in the street. Crazy lady acts crazy. And then she goes, the main lady goes to her dinner party and at the dinner party the lady says oh yeah that's the crazy lady up the street who says that her kid wasn't hers and then the next day she's like i don't think my son is my son and i'm like you don't think maybe you might have a problem like this old lady do you want to bury your head in the sand is that what's going on with you too i think if the old lady stuff and the lord commander stuff was just removed from the movie it would have been more interesting and would have made me as a viewer be more confused as to whether or not what she suspects is happening is actually happening. It's, so. It sounds like you, you want the movie to be more complex. You, you want more ambiguity. You don't want it to be as, as straightforward and, and as simple as it actually is, where it's like, she, that's here's what's going correct. on and yeah, you don't really have to good. question it. It's more like a, huh, what, what is going on? You want right. to like figure it out along the way. I could see yeah, that. I can see wanting to, to have a little bit more of a kind of needing to actively think more than just kind of feel the creep. And then the, the other thing is if they're not going to do the, the more ambiguous thing, then they should just dive into the whole, this isn't her kid thing more where she's got to try to convince other people that it's not her kid. And they try to do that a little bit where she's got the camera, but they don't show us anything that she's got on the camera. But that scene where the kid eats the spider is effed up. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was that was gross. But uh, like, again, you don't know if this is all in that lady's head. And, <laughs> See, I and don't, that's I don't I think you you because you were expecting that, which, which is funny. I, I, I didn't have the same problem because I just didn't expect that. I was just like, oh, OK, this ain't our kid. But that scene with the spider thing was gross because of the spider. But it was also, I thought, one of the highlights of the movie, too, because she's outside the door seeing this and having it be like, yeah, you're in the house with a demon kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, oh, fuck, I got to get out of here. <laughs> she's like <laughs> backing up to her. I'm like, don't make any noise. Don't get the fuck out of there. And then like yeah. what the four floor creaks or something. And he's like, hey, mom. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> mommy, get out. Yeah. I don't know. I, it could have been better. I didn't dislike it, but the parts that I thought could have been better could have been better. I, I think when it comes to the difference in terms of enjoyment and the simplicity versus like complexity or ambiguity is like, for me, the simple version of it, not the one where there's all this questioning and sort of an ambiguity process is like, it's like an 80s movie for me where I'm like, okay, this is because that's how horror movies were before, you know, it's just like, here's what's happening. And usually it was kind of like, kind of like poltergeist where it's like, here's what's happening. And we don't really know how to do this in a very great way yet. The acting's kind of janky and stuff like that. And this felt for me like, oh, I'm getting to watch an 80s movie that's got the atmosphere and the simple story, but the quality's good. Mm, yeah, I don't, 
I don't agree. <laughs> like the thing where she's like, she gets out of the shower and her open head wound from two months ago is bleeding again. And then I think, doesn't it from that part go to the spider where she's like looking under the door and she sees the spider and the kid eats the spider. Isn't that mm. the same sequence? I don't know. If it's not, then then I'm off base. But like, I feel like they show her dealing with this head trauma and then the kid will do something weird. And so like, that's supposed to make you think, oh, is she unconscious in the bathroom? And that's why her head's bleeding because she fell and hit her head and invented the flux capacitor. And <laughs> We just had very different experiences with this movie. <laughs> I I literally did not question anything. Although I will say at the end, you, you know, when you said you were kind of expecting there to be a twist, I did expect when she got out of the house and she got to the car, I was expecting to, there to be a little bit more time so that when she got to the car, you were questioning like, ooh, did he, did the kid get switched at some point in here? Yeah. And I think even at the very end, there is some sort of implication because she's like, she watches him through the window on a, mm -hmm. a through her camera or something. And yeah, she uh, takes a bunch of pictures and then her house is full of mirrors like the crazy old lady. Yeah. And so I think it's supposed to still leave on a bit of an ambiguous note, but it, it didn't seem that I wasn't, uh, I wasn't sure why, because there wasn't any time between her hearing the kid that she locked in the basement, still in the basement, and then going right out the front door to see her kid at the car. I'm like, okay, there's yeah. not enough time implied here for the kid to get switched. So, you know, and if they had just driven away at that point, I would have been like, okay, and there we go. That's, that's all there is to it. The door that she locks, the scary ass basement that they have would not be able to hold back that kid. Like, that kid was able to throw a 130-pound woman across the room. That kid could bash through that door. I think that's a legitimate I, point. But still, creepy kid. I feel like if this was made in 1999, it definitely would have starred Haley Joel Osmuth. Oh, yeah. I thought that the mom did a good job. I thought the kid did a good job. It's an effective horror movie. I just kind of wanted a little more from it. I'm guessing this was a very low budget, too, and good use of it yes i totally agree it, it looks great it's very well shot the other thing that doesn't make any sense and that i thought was very confusing where i was like this is all in this lady's head is where she allows herself to get eaten by the hole in the ground and then she rescues her son and then she's like trying to escape all the clone monsters or whatever they are yeah and then the one monster clones her and then she smashes it to death or whatever how does she get out of the hole i i did <laughs> wonder that too <laughs> I was like, okay, wait a minute. She got in here by getting sucked through the ground. Does it have a reverse suck button? Right. And she really struggled getting through the tunnel the first time by herself. And then on her way out of the tunnel, she's able to like drag 50 pounds of kid along with herself through the tunnel and backwards. then fight off something. Yeah. Backwards, you know, still it was exciting. It was and it's well shot. So I don't know. I didn't hate this. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't love it, but I would definitely watch it again. Yeah, I would say, you know, if like listening and kind of hearing the kind of different takes on it, I'd be like, if I were to categorize this as like, what kind of horror movie do you want to see? I'd say it's atmospheric, like go for the atmosphere, not for the story. That's a good point. All right. So let's do Shaun of the Dead. Okay, great. Plot of Shaun of the Dead. Two friends gradually discover that the zombie apocalypse is interrupting their process of learning that they need to grow up. Sean is immature and his best friend forever is even worse. And 
Yeah, I guess that's pretty much the plot. Then there's, you know, a bunch of zombies. I have seen this movie once before. and oh, that's it? Yeah. And I remember walking away from it the first time and going, that was good, but there was some stuff about it that I would have changed if, if it were up to me uh, a little bit. And so going back to it, I was like, oh, you know, I'm probably going to enjoy this more a second time. And unfortunately, I had a little bit of the opposite experience. I still enjoyed it, but I can't stand the best friend. And I like Nick Frost as as an actor, but I just was like, God, this guy's so annoying and so frustratingly like selfish and immature and unreliable that I was just like, I kind of hate this guy. Like if he were in my friend circle, he'd be the kind of guy that I'd be like, oh, is he going to be there? I'm busy that night. Fuck it. I, I just can't stand being around him. And I don't want to hurt his feelings, but I can't stand him. So mm-hmm. that said, the, the main character played by Simon Pegg is kind of i could say that's sort of same complaints but to a much lesser degree and there's still something kind of charming about him i think just because it's simon Pegg, and i don't know what it is about simon Pegg, but no matter what i'm like i want to hang out with simon Pegg. although i didn't really like what's the last one in this trilogy world's end the, is that right the world's end yeah i didn't like him in that i didn't really care for that movie very much my favorite of the three is definitely hot fuzz which i love but i do in spite of the characters i do enjoy aspects of like the zombies coming to life and some of the jokes that are there in terms of like Sean's walking through his daily routine and he's like even though on the first time through he seems to be pretty astute he kind of picks up on things that are weird like he hears references on the radio it seems like he hears oh there's weird stuff going on he's like oh okay then he sees people acting funny and it catches his attention but then the next day not noticing anything but he's also just been dumped so it's like he's kind of crazy he's crazy hung over the next morning that's true too yeah although they do kind of imply that he drinks most nights but he goes on a real bender for the night because of the breakup so he's kind of walking through his routine and you get to see all these things that are just kind of different about the routine because of zombie stuff and Mm -hmm. i enjoy that i I guess you could say i I like the humor that's not the character humor for the most part Mm -hmm. but more the storytelling elements there's something about the tone of the movie most of the time that i enjoy but it also takes this really dark turn mostly when he has to kill his mom i'm like Wow, this this is weird. And I get this with Edgar Wright movies sometimes where there will be this thing that happens where I'm like, man, that feels out of place. And I can appreciate that you don't have to conform to a certain box and just stick in it. But it's also not something I necessarily enjoy. So there's that too. And then there are kind of dumb decisions here and there where they're, for instance, they walk instead of taking a car at some point where they could have. But all in all, I enjoyed it. I would recommend it. I think most people would enjoy this movie pretty well. And as far as like horror movies go that are humor horror, it's still pretty up there. So if you haven't seen it before, I just spoiled some of it, but I'd say check it out. Did you want to say anything about it? I love this movie. Yeah. I think it's a perfect movie. I, th- I think it's it's fantastic. I, I especially love the, like, as you were saying, the beginning stuff where they they just establish the characters and like in the morning when he goes to get his like soda or whatever from the convenience store, yeah. how it's just implied that every day all these same people are doing the exact same things. Mm-hmm. And then the next day when the zombie apocalypse has happened overnight and he's going to the store again, all the same people are in place. 
but they're all reacting because they're all under attack. Like there's like the zombie kid who's just like kicking, I think it's a head on the ground instead of a soccer ball. And then the, the jogger runs past him, but he's not running for fun. He's running for his life mm-hmm. and like all these things, but he's just so hungover. He doesn't notice anything i love it i think the the little touches in this movie are really what sells the entire thing i hate the one friend like i think you're supposed to hate him like the real obnoxious friend the one that's in love Um, with his girlfriend yeah like i hate him but i think you're supposed to hate him but i just don't like the character i agree with you that nick frost is like the real obnoxious dick but i think that's who he's supposed to be like even simon Pegg hates him but he's like i can't get this guy out of my life like i'm stuck with him at this point i i don't get that impression that he hates him at all because like even with his roommate the roommate is like get that dick out of my house and simon Pegg's like look he just lost his job he's kind of like he's got nowhere to go and the, the roommate's like look he's a nice guy i'm just sick of him being here and simon Pegg's like yeah me too kind of a thing where but like he can't he can't bring himself to get rid of him. And Nick Frost is totally taken advantage of his friend. He's just a mooch. Like he just lives off of everyone around him. But then like, I love the interactions where he goes to like rescue his mom and like tries to leave his stepdad behind that. His stepdad is not like a horrible person. He just doesn't like him. And he's like, he touched me and the mom gives him his look. And he's like, no, he didn't. He didn't. I I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. But meanwhile, the dad is like, the stepdad's like dying because he got bit by somebody. (laughs) You're just like, oh, he's going to be a zombie soon. And they all know it. What's that that guy's name? Is it Bill Nighy? Bill Nighy. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, anything that he's in, like when he's on screen, he just elevates stuff. Yeah. Like even Underworld, which I think has some cool elements, but is not great. When he's on screen, I'm like, I'm down. <laughs> you know, like I'll just I've, watch the parts that he's in. I've never seen any of those Underworld movies. I've never. I've, I saw part of the first one, but I fell asleep. It's, uh, yeah, it's if Nickelback were a vampire movie. <laughs> that's that's underworld <laughs> you know everybody's got that one nickelback song that they can kind of enjoy uh-huh so that's underworld <laughs> all right i i think i saw the second one too and i was like man i'm not touching this franchise ever again uh, <laughs> he's great in that love actually everyone's great in love actually but uh, you know i <laughs> i i enjoyed love actually and there's something that's kind of grown in me over the years where i'm like i don't think i should go back to that i don't think i will like it anymore and then i listened to a podcast a couple weeks ago where they reviewed it i think it was a i hate an episode of i hate it but i love it and they started talking about it and, and going through like all the things that suck about it and i was like oh that's that's probably why i've been not wanting to go back to that well uh, but i'll let it just be what it was because i enjoyed it at the time yeah don't go back then i love it i think it's great Everyone in that movie is a horrible person. That's it. <laughs> they're all terrible people, but they're all they're all human, and it's very well acted. Yeah, the performances are fine. Yeah, yeah. All right, what else do you got? So the gentleman Guy Ritchie movie. The plot is Guy Ritchie movie. There's really nothing else you need to say. He keeps making the same movie in different iterations. I enjoyed this movie quite a lot. The performances are good. The costuming isn't normally something I I recognize a lot, but I'm like, man, the costuming in this movie is excellent. Everything that Colin Farrell is wearing is awesome. (laughs) 
Uh-huh. And actually, that's like I said, the performances are good. I kind of walked away from this realizing that in spite of the fact that I have always gotten the impression that Colin Farrell is like a gross kind of douchey guy, I don't know that I've ever seen him in a performance where I didn't still like him. Like, I think he's a really good actor. And Guy Ritchie, in spite of the fact that nobody in the movie really has any reason to be that likable, he's still really good at getting me on somebody's side. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm definitely like, oh, I don't want... I, I, I'm, I'm very aware of wanting somebody to succeed and wanting other people to fail, even though when I go, what is it that I like about the person that I'm rooting for? I'm like, nothing in particular. There's, mm-hmm. there's really nothing about them that's likable. I just... The movie has kind of manipulated me into really having a side. And some of it may just be that other people are cheating in a way. There's always at the end of a Guy Ritchie movie, you're like, aha, sense of justice. <laughs> you know, like things right. Things are going the way they should be. I like this world. Uh, Just desserts kind of a thing. Exactly. Yeah. Karma really is a bitch for these people. And I'm like, yeah, suckers. Now, overall, I, I recommend this movie. I thought it was a really, really good time. But there were some things that, you know, you had said it's, you know, not the best guy Ritchie movie and my favorite one to date is snatch and i don't remember i think i've seen snatch maybe probably three or four times i don't remember ever walking away from it feeling like any part of it was unnecessary and i definitely did go oh you know what there's some stuff in this movie that was kind of forced and not really necessary so for instance when Matthew McConaughey's character is, he's got somebody in the car with him and he's racing to try to get to the workplace that his wife runs. Yeah. That is supposed to be full of these tough women who are really loyal to her, but who do nothing when thugs go into her office and try to attack her. Um, I think they're all gone for the day. I think that's implied that it's late in the day. And that's fine but it kind of makes the other stuff it, i don't know feel a bit unnecessary but but the thing that's really unnecessary about it is that he gets in a car accident on his way there and yeah. it's just it's not that it's i get why it happens it's you know just raising the tension but there are a few things in the movie that feel like they're doing that they're there to raise the tension and you can feel that it's just that it's just yeah. there is like a, a device to ratchet things up but not yeah. really it doesn't fit in the story in a way that's like you know not everything with the whole checkoff's gun thing where it's like if it's in there it better have a purpose that mm-hmm. that has something to do with the story this is like no nah, a couple things are in there just because we didn't feel like coming up with a better way that's more organic to do it yeah the end of that sequence where i like i love that sequence where mcconaughey is running down the street trying to say going to rescue his wife like i think it's very powerful but then all of a sudden it turns into this sexual assault thing yeah out it of feels nowhere. like it comes out of nowhere it's yeah really out of nowhere and like the dry eye character like he's just like out of nowhere a rapist and you're just like what's happening and then mcconaughey shows up and saves the day but like it did not need that part where he like spreads her legs and starts fumbling with his belt like 100 percent agree but i do love the, i do love the the sequence of him running down the street to get to her but it, it could have just he could have just come in right before that whether you know just didn't need it so yeah i super agree with you and there is a way to make it make more sense in terms of like, cause at, at the end, what you need there is for Matthew McConaughey's character to be really pissed off that this guy touched his wife. And I'm like, he already was meant to be kind of menacing and threatening and violent. Mm-hmm. He, not that I want anyone to get hit, but like he could have hit her and it would have fit with the character and not seem like 
Wow. You know, like like I said, there's some things where it's just a device and here it's like, so you went to the, the rape thing. It's like a card, you know, it's like pulling a card where it's like he pulled the rape card and you're like, you you didn't need to do that. Yeah. It's like they, they weren't sure if this dry eye guy had done enough to justify McConaughey executing him. Right. Yeah. And they're like, like, I mean, just manhandling his wife is enough for McConaughey to shoot him. I would have been convinced if he had just even been threatening her, you know, if he had walked yeah. in and, and there was like he had a gun on her or was just being menacing towards her and, and Matthew mm-hmm. McConaughey walked in and went, oh, fuck no, dude. That said, another thing that really bothered me was Matthew McConaughey's narration. And I know Guy Ritchie likes to throw in narration and stuff. But again, in this movie, it feels like this isn't that well done. I just feel like they have him just saying a bunch of pretentious crap. Where it's like, oh, the king must be king and know he's king, or otherwise he's mm-hmm. vulnerable and it will be his demise. And I'm like, this is partly the writing and this is partly how like Matthew McConaughey's overperforming it. And I don't need that. <laughs> just like the, the yeah, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I Go loved ahead. Hugh Grant in this movie. I thought Hugh Grant was spectacular. Uh, you know, I've never really had much of an opinion of Hugh Grant. There have been things that have like been sort of charming by him in but i was impressed with him here and actually what was it charlie charlie uh hunnam, hunnam. at the beginning of the movie <laughs> karina goes i hate everything about this guy <laughs> <laughs> and i couldn't have agreed more and then by the end of the movie i'm like well i'm squarely in this dude's corner i like this guy a lot yeah so- watch about six more movies that he's been in in a week and you'll be like i'm charlie hunnam's biggest fan <laughs> no thanks <laughs> but And then another thing was like, there's definitely, for me anyway, one more twist in this movie than I need. So at the end, when it's like, hey, by the way, the Russians, I'm like, yeah, okay, so that's why the kid was thrown out the window or fell off the thing because it was going to come back later. And I know that Guy Ritchie has done that in other movies, too, where in one, it's I think they call them pikeys in the movie, which is probably an offensive term, but where people do something and there's some sort of collateral damage and it's treated as though by the characters it's treated as though it's not going to matter but then again with the that's karma your, thing it hits you back that's your again. inciting you know, like that's your inciting incident of your d plot that you didn't know was in play the entire time yeah and that it's going to come back it's like the the godfather being killed this isn't how the godfather went but like a godfather being killed by some kid who he doesn't even know who he is and they're like you killed my dad but this it just feels unnecessary and it kind of leads to a weird issue that ends up being a, another loose end where the movie's supposed to be tied up and it's like hey wait a minute so the coach's boys went to try to kill matthew mcconaughey and they ended up killing all these other dudes instead and colin farrell's like walking away going hey because i saved charlie hunnam from these other two dudes now i've done four favors back and i'm like yeah but meanwhile your guys are out there trying to kill matthew mcconaughey so at the end of this movie does colin farrell still owe matthew mcconaughey two more favors now see i saw it as the toddlers um which is what they call themselves were rescuing mcconaughey like they saw mcconaughey get captured by this other guy and we're going to rescue him. If that's the case, I then I might have missed a detail in turn. Like, I thought about that for a moment. I was like, did they know what was going on there? And I it's went back through clear. the details and I was like, I don't think they did. My conclusion yeah. being when they tell 
Colin Farrell, hey, we're going to take care of this guy. And he's like, what yeah. are you doing? Oh, no. And then yeah. he sees the two dudes and goes, okay, I got to stop this from happening. I didn't get the impression that he was responding to, hey, we're taking care of this in that we already know this is going to happen and we're doing something about it because he doesn't seem yeah. to know it's already going to happen. It seems to be a surprise for him. And then they just pull out machine guns and shoot up the whole car. And I'm like, that doesn't seem to me either like they know what's going on because wouldn't they be a bit more careful because <laughs> they're shooting yeah, tons I, of bullets into this car. I think that's really poorly done yeah because they don't because you at first you're supposed to think oh they're gonna go kill michael which is gonna screw up everything that they've been doing and then you're like well why would they do that they're they're on this guy's good side they're they're getting along with the bad guys uh, or they're getting along with the mcconaughey family they've made up for their transgressions why would they go out of their way to ruin everything that they've done and the only thing that makes sense to me is that they saw something happen to the driver of the suv and they're like oh we can we can save this guy because somehow we have uh, assault rifles but again if mcconaughey wasn't paying attention he also would have been riddled with bullets like yeah yeah so uh if he didn't get a text from charlie hunnam he would have been killed and and you make a good point there when you say somehow they have these machine guns because this movie makes a big deal out of how guns are illegal but everyone Mm -hmm. still has guns and they just keep getting bigger throughout the movie where it's like oh by the way charlie hunnam's carrying like a ak-47 or something underneath his jacket i'm like yeah while he's doing wind sprints and in the same movie where someone gets a tiny little six shooter or two shooter rather a tiny little two shooting pistol and they're like wow what's he trying to do get you arrested giving you this tiny little pistol thing and i'm like Mm mm-hmm you keep hammering that home, but then you got people walking around with machine guns. It doesn't really work. Yeah. Other things that were kind of weird about this movie. So the guy, Matthew, who's supposed to be doing business with Mickey throughout the movie. Uh-huh. At some point I, I, throughout the movie, I was like, he's his, the way he talk is, talks is really reminding me of somebody. And then at some point I was like, oh, he's doing some weird Kevin Spacey impression that once I heard it, I could not unhear it. Almost every line was just like. Wow. I totally agree. Sounded just like Kevin Spacey. I totally agree. So strange. The guy was such a wiener. (laughs) And that was great. I love the end sequence where he's where where he tries to lowball McConaughey out of nowhere and McConaughey's already ready for it. Yeah. Oh man. He plays him so well. (laughs) And and he's like, You're gonna get into that freezer with Bunny. And Bunny's like standing behind him with the winter gear on, just waiting. Oh man. I think the movie's got its faults, but it's just done so well yeah it's a it's a real fun ride uh do you have anything else on no that's that's all for me okay now (laughs) it's time for uh trained trained from 2018 written and directed by yuri rutman who seems to have some sort of money and he's from the ukraine or something like that and he seems like a scary kind of guy so this movie was great (laughs) fuck that (laughs) no it's not it's not very good there it's there are some neat or better looking sequences than others but for the most part this was this is not very good yeah you sent me a message saying that this guy had offered to let us see the movie correct and so i you know i was like oh you know i feel like there's i really want to be 
supportive, you know, of, of people doing projects that they want to do. So totally I was like, agree. you know, this might not be great. Who knows? You know, if someone's kind of even early in their career as a movie maker, I want to be supportive of that. So hopefully it's good. And hopefully if it's not, there will be a lot that I can still say like, hey, you know, here's really good stuff to build off of. Then I saw it. And the plot of this movie is woman has a train fetish. Cytoromophilia. Yeah. But that's the whole plot as far as yeah. I can tell. And, and I don't know if this movie is really going for some sort of commentary. I don't even know if it's uh, there. There were parts of it where I'm like, is this movie kind of a joke? Because I, there was stuff in the email too that was like, this movie was recognized by, I don't know, the president or somebody is like being excellent. And I was like, this seems kind of tongue in cheek. And then at the end, one of my three notes about what's good about this is that in the credits, it says the trains as the trains. And I'm like, yeah, that was funny. So there's humor here. Yeah. But I don't, I really don't know if I'm watching something that is meant to be some sort of punchline, in which case I kind of don't get it. But if it's meant to be some sort of depthy point about mental health or fetishes or relationships, then I'm going to say it's an utter failure because, I mean, there's very little dialogue to work with. And what is there? It's not telling me much of a story and there's not much in the performances that conveys stuff that the words don't. So I just felt kind of like I'm not able to take much from this as I'm watching it. So, so in my list of good things was the credits where it says the trains as the trains. I felt a bit like this was a Neil Breen movie, but it saved me an hour and 10 minutes and that was nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, I feel bad saying this because like, I don't want to objectify anyone, but I was like, in terms of watching this, a highlight of the movie, and this is not exactly a compliment to the movie was just seeing breasts. And I'm like, that's not great. <laughs> I'm not saying movies should just show boobs. I was just like, out of this movie, what have I enjoyed the most? The credits that it has this Neil Breen feel without wasting my time. And I, I didn't mind seeing boobs. Yeah, and then there were boobs. But then you also have to look at Yuri Rutman's butt a whole lot. And uh, this movie feels like two things to me. It feels like a trailer or a proof of concept for a much longer film. I could see that. Where this is, we didn't have a budget for a feature length film, but we, we were able to put together the funds to make this short film. And if we can get enough support around it, we can expand on this story. So here it is. And then at the same time, Yuri Rutman wanted to make a porn. I, I did have that because note. I'm like, is this, is this kind of like, he just kind of wanted to have sex with this woman and like, or I, be naked? I don't her? know. I don't know because it's not particularly well shot. It's not particularly well edited. The sex is gratuitous and deliberate. It doesn't add really anything to the story or the... So, like, the chick can only get off if she's seen a train or been on a train, but they never show her on a train, and I don't think they ever show her seeing a train. They just show her waiting for a train, and if the train doesn't show come by, she won't sleep with her boyfriend or whatever. And the boyfriend is, like, supportive for, like, a little bit, and then he starts to get sick of it, and that's, like, that's your plot. And then it's just, it goes from like sex scene to, to not a sex scene. And then to like this weird shot with him and some other guy that I think is supposed to be a therapist or something. The, the, and the, I don't, the, um, subtitles, guy. the subtitle said psychiatrist. 
Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. Cause I watched this through Amazon prime and it cost me 99 cents, uh, which I mean, uh, I don't, I don't mind. 99 cents is fine. I agree with you though, about the idea of it being suggestive of a longer movie, because I will say, I guess one of the highlights that I, I hadn't mentioned is to a degree, like I am kind of intrigued to go like, what are the effects in this relationship? But it's also frustrating. Cause I'm like, I don't feel like I can tell from this brief movie. I'm not saying I necessarily want to watch a really long or a full length movie about these particular characters, but if we're trying to see, this is where it's hard because I'm like, I'm not sure how seriously this movie's taking itself. So if it, if it is taking itself seriously and the idea is I want to discuss or raise the question of what kinds of conflicts there are when someone in a relationship has a fetish and the other person doesn't have it. That's interesting. You know, that's, that's, a, mm-hmm. that's an interesting point. And if someone were to take this and go, hey, let's go ahead and fund and, and make this into a full length movie, they might be able to do something with it. But I, I just wasn't even sure. I, I really I, I tried watching in the list of things that Yuri Rutnam sent you. One of them was an interview on a show that was on YouTube. And I had clicked on that before actually watching the movie because I thought maybe that was a link to it. And it started and I was like, okay, this is an interview with him. At the end of the movie, I was like, I'm going to go back and and listen to that interview and see if it it tells me more about this. But the interview is an hour long and I listened to a few minutes of it and it was the host talking with this guy about his background and stuff. He sounded like a nice guy, but after a few minutes, I was like, man, I don't know how long it's going to take them to get into this movie and I'm not going to listen to an hour interview about a 17 minute movie. So I don't, I don't know more about it than that, but if he has the time and wants to work on fleshing it out more, you know, it's potentially an interesting story or concept if it is serious. And I wish I, I wish I knew, I feel like I'd be able to say something more constructive if I had a sense of like, whether this is supposed to be humorous or whether it's supposed to be getting in depth. I got the impression from something in the interview that the writer, author, etc., does have interest in psychology. So so there may be something more serious he is going for here. Yeah, I agree. In terms of the Neil Breen stuff, as far as like things that happened in the movie that I don't want to just rip on it, but there were a couple things that I found kind of funny. One is like and these are these are things that did confuse me. I'm like, is this supposed to be funny or not? Like when this woman's cutting tomatoes, She's just destroying these tomatoes. And then there's <laughs> and then there's a scene where they're in the shower and it's they can't the worst sound ever. Well, they can't have sex cuz she's like I can't get into it. And it's actually in moments when this the actor is saying like I can't or the character is saying I can't like I can't do I can't enjoy sex. Those are the moments where I'm like, "Oh, I actually feel for this character a little bit. I want to know what kind of struggle she's going through with his character. It's a little harder because I'm like, I can't, he seems angry at her the whole time. So I don't know if I'm supposed to be getting in touch with like his frustration and his inner struggle or just like his blaming her. But when she says, I can't, she seems upset with herself, but then there's the cameras, including him or cuts to him or whatever. And he's like looking at her and the water's spraying on his forehead (laughs) and he's trying to keep his eyes open. And I'm like, this is taking me out of this moment. I was I was starting to feel for this couple a little bit because they want to be able to have sex in more than one location and they can't do it at home because of this issue. And then I'm just kind of laughing because he's got water spraying in his eyes. It has a, it, uh, the Neil Breen thing is pretty, 
pretty accurate. I, I would say it's kind of like if Neil Breen and Tommy Wiseau made a movie together because the delivery of some lines has like a Tommy Wiseau kind of feel to it. Like when they're having their dinner at one point, they're eating the chicken and she like feeds him the chicken. He delivers his lines Wiseau-ish. And you're like, does this guy have an accent or not? And it doesn't really matter if he does or not, but like I, I was curious. And then she delivers a line that my wife and I both heard as I have a tumor out of nowhere. And we're like, what, 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 what? And what she actually says is I added turmeric. Oh yeah. Chicken. Yeah. 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 But like, we both were like, oh, that's like the mom from the room saying like, oh, and I definitely have breast cancer. <laughs> and, and, but like, she's like, oh, by the way, I have a tumor. And like, we're both like, what? Out of nowhere. But she's just talking about the chicken and they both just seem very bored. And I guess that's the point. But I, I did not hear I have a tumor. I just oh, well, you the had the captions thing. on. We didn't have captions. Oh, that's, that's fair. I probably was reading it at the same time. But there's like a, a few lines like that. And then like later when they're in the car and he's like, I'm so hard. <laughs> she's like, I don't care. Where's the effing train? So like, I, I agree with you. Like if, if this movie was going for like a tongue in cheek kind of funny thing, it would have, I think worked a little better, but the gratuitous sex really pulls you out of it. I think. Yeah. And I think part of it might just be they're padding the runtime. Like they didn't have enough script for 20 minutes worth of movie. So they just filled it with more sex sequences. But the sex sequences are really uncomfortable. It, it does feel at times like the sex sequences are the purpose for the movie. And yeah, I, don't, I really don't know what to make of it. There's also a moment pretty early in the movie. Well, I mean, it's 17 minutes. The first sex sequence the music that's playing is a very, very obvious like ripoff of Spanish Caravan by The Doors. And it's really okay. strange. It's really, really strange. And and I don't even. Uh, uh, that's it. I'm just acknowledging that that happened. <laughs> and then there's a there's a line. Like I said, there's not much dialogue in this film. And for what it's worth, if this is making you curious at all, it is only like 17 and a half minutes or something. Go ahead and check it out. So I guess this is a recommend. But there's a line where it's another sort of suggestion that there's some kind of maybe deep point to some idea that's being suggested that couples in a field or on a hill or something or in a cemetery. I'm not quite sure. I don't remember. But mm -hmm. the guy says something about the people walking around and he, he, he makes some sort of comment that seems to suggest he, he has a certain read on their behaviors. Like, Oh, these people are all wasting their time or something. And she goes, how can you predict such a pretentious outcome? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, <laughs> I was like that's what? a line that was written, but never spoken until that moment. <laughs> well, it felt like George Lucas wrote that line. I was very confused by that. And I don't know what this means, but like at some point I, I, I was early in the video, I was like, maybe because I had already heard that his name was Yuri, but I was like, there's something about this movie that just feels Russian. And I don't know what that means. I don't know. But it was like, man, this, this feels so true. Yeah, I, I agree with you a little bit. It has a like kind of a lost in translation feel to it. Not the movie lost in translation, but like it was written in a foreign language and then translated to English. And in that transition, some sort of something was lost there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, or much like in my in the movie we watched, Fate Stay Night, where the dialogue doesn't make any sense because it's like an Amazon Alexa translation of the movie where you're like what did you just say and you have to rewind it to read it again because it's backwards you know when you said tommy Wiseau, with tommy Wiseau in mind and my sort of confusion about 
what the movie's going for. You know how Tommy Wiseau says that The Room is a comedy now? Yeah. That's a lie. I, right. I'm pretty convinced that that's just a lie. In it's this, absolutely a lie. In this case, I'm like, I I don't know. I really don't. I feel like there's something here and there that hints at something being kind of tongue-in-cheek. So so I I, I don't know. I, I don't know. If he were to say, yeah, no, it's a comedy, I'd go, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll watch it again. And now that I know that or, you know, I'll... I'll I'll check it out. If he were to go like, no, it's, it's, I'm really going for drama here. I really want to get into the struggles in relationships. I can get behind that too. So I have kind of a weird relationship with this because at the end of the day, I kind of want to say, go ahead and keep making movies, dude, and keep crafting your art. And I don't mean that in a Neil Breen kind of way where I'm like, keep making movies because I want to laugh at them. I, I, I feel like if he keeps working on it and, and takes criticism or, or constructive feedback, I feel feel like this could probably improve over time and then it wouldn't just be like the same movie getting cranked out each time like Neil Breen does. I'm not quite sure what makes me think that. Maybe because it's not self-indulgent for an hour and a half. So, you know what, Mr. Rutnam, thank you for the suggestion. Uh, I appreciate getting to see your movie. And if you're going for humor, you can probably steer yourself in that direction. If you're going for really getting into human relationships, you can probably steer yourself in that direction too. And good luck. Well said. I didn't think we'd spend that much time on Trained because now we've come to the blue chip of the week. And this is a a movie that is terrible and is not supposed to be terrible. I got no ambiguity about how I feel about this one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Fanatic from 2019, directed and written by Fred Durst, the lead singer of Limp Limp Biscuit, which I don't hold against him. Good for Fred Durst, because apparently he's made a few movies, and some of them are are better than others. uh, Well, I hope they're better than this. uh, This stars John Travolta and Devin Sawa, and this was an absolute disaster. Every step of the way every every step i do not understand how this could have happened i mean how (laughs) like i mean how is it possible that this was made like i mean john travolta he's had his ups and downs you know like he's he's made his share of awful movies but he's also made some fun good movies and he's a popular or for a while he was very popular and then he was unpopular and then he like had his big comeback but like how could he be in this doing what he's doing i just uh, i how? understand i understand what you're saying because it there's a real like it, you kind of want to explain or I, I i feel like i want to be able to explain what he's doing or why he's like and i don't just mean in this movie, but kind of in his career. Yeah. Given uh now I haven't seen Gotti, but I've heard enough about it to have a vicarious feel for it in a way. Uh, not that I'm necessarily, yeah, like, it's necessarily accurate, but I'm like, it seems like he's going for, this is my best hypothesis so far. And, and it can continue to develop. And I'm fine with that, that he did have a resurgence, John Travolta. Um, and then, you know, obviously like Pulp Fiction being the real, when someone gets a, a good punch in, you're like, that was his solid punch mm-hmm. being in Pulp Fiction and, and his performance there. It's good. And then at some point he was like, and now I'm going to try to get an Oscar. <laughs> and then he was in Gotti and then he was in this and you're like, oh, what, 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 how, if, if, what, if you're doing what I think you're trying to do, you are making bad decisions as how to get there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is this? 
<laughs> so go ahead. What is the plot of this movie, Matt? If Forrest Gump were a dark drama. <laughs> if, An if, even darker if, drama. If Forrest Gump were a tragic hero story, I guess. Anyway, and it was done terribly. <laughs> that might be <laughs> what this is. It, I don't know what the hell the point of this movie is. It starts out with a quote from character who is an actor in the movie. And what is the quote again? With, I, you are a, you fan. are a fan without, without you, you. I'm nothing, which is what he says to John Travolta under duress. Right. Later <laughs> in the movie. And you even can tell that from the beginning. You're like, is this a quote of a real person? I don't think so. This is probably going to be one of character, one of the characters in the movie. And then you're like, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to hear this quote in the movie. And you do. And you're like, I don't know. Is that the point of this movie? Is, is this Fred Durst? trying to sound like a benevolent superhero to his fans where he's like hey look man our relationship is complicated and i probably haven't been great to all of my fans so here's a movie explaining how hard it is to be famous and how hard it is to be a fan and that's what i'm going for but it's shit this movie sucks. Yeah. Um, it's oh, God, it's so bad. Wonderful at the same time because, boy, was I entertained. Um, <laughs> but I but I don't know what the go- movie's going for because it seems like they say at the beginning, like, everything breaks down in L.A., even a person's spirit, except mm-hmm. for this guy because he's so great and his spirit is unbreakable. And I'm like, he's going to get his hand blown off and his eye stabbed out. What are we going for? I don't know, and I don't care, yeah, but like, boy, am I having a good time watching this like shit. The, yes, the, movie. the final sequence of the movie makes it seem like Moose, played by John Travolta, is a, like a hero yeah. out of nowhere. Like All of a sudden, he's like this triumphant character because Devin Sawa got wrongly arrested for murder. Which, <laughs> which is not going to stick. No, it's not going to stick at all. He's not going to go to prison and be like... Yeah, I guess I can't defend myself. I guess I won't explain what happened to me. I guess I won't point out that I've got ligature marks on my wrist. I guess I won't point out that there's blood all over my house that doesn't belong to me or my maid. Uh, Also, my bed is covered in cut rope. There's a shotgun blast in the floor. It's fucking dumb. (laughs) The guy who turns him in is like the the flower guy or the i'm sorry the gardener and the police knock on his door because i guess the maid has been missing for like a few days and no one noticed well her body's out in the yard it's just sitting out in the yard moose doesn't do anything with it it. moose kills her and then kills her and then literally uh, and i mean literally literally five seconds later He's in the house going, I can't believe I'm in this guy's house. Wow. Moose is in the house. Moose is in the house. This movie is trying to say, or or is, is just saying that this guy has some sort of mental illness that is not a mental illness again it's that to a degree and not even as well done as forrest gump which is not well done when it comes to what this person is dealing with like what their actual impairment is i don't know what the hell this guy's supposed to have or be or whatever because it is so inconsistent a couple points he doesn't know what words mean that are words that uh, basically like a six-year-old would understand and at other times he's supposed to be capable of fending for himself he's he's supposed to be independent he apparently has 
a job that allows him to pay for his apartment and have 300 bucks to spare to buy a leather coat. And his job, to my understanding, is being a, a like a British Bobby in LA where there are people who are dressed as movie stars and who go around pretending to be superheroes and stuff like that to make money. People that people want to get pictures with like Spider-Man and the Hulk and Marilyn Monroe. And he's a British Bobby. And even I guess you could say it's poppycock. Oh God. Poppycock. <sighs> what Nick's doing right now is a line in the movie. Again, this guy's character poppycock. has some sort of issue that is just not realistic and i hate it and <laughs> it also implies that people who have impairments of some sort or another would walk around with the haircut that this guy has that's just like he was bald and then a creature crawled on his head like maybe a badger and it got shot and it stayed there i would say it's a mullet and he he was like oh mullets aren't cool anymore i'll keep the general shape but i'll cut it short I'll shave the sides to my skin. Yeah. And part of me is like, oh, he's trying to be like one of those people in L.A. who hold up like uh, David Cross has a bit about people who uh, like put me in your movie. I have purple hair. I'm a crazy person. And then like they get picked up and put in a movie to be a crazy person kind of a thing. And I think David Cross uh, refers to it as pervertly achieving your dreams or something like that but moose doesn't go around town with this look it's not like he's desperate to be in a movie or anything like that he just makes his money because the only way he can is by being a british bobby on the hollywood boulevard or whatever that road is and he's wearing a hat and a disguise so like if anybody came by and was like oh look at this terribly unique fellow he must be in my next film i'm not sure moose would go for it i think he more uh, the character more just wants an autograph and, and more importantly than that, wants to be liked by a celebrity rather than a celebrity himself. Who knows what Moose would want? Because the movie sure as hell doesn't. The, the This guy's so inconsistent. And I don't just mean in terms of what kind of mental illness he has, but also like in terms of his motivations and what he would find offensive or not find offensive because he's offended by the idea that he's a stalker, but he also has the insight to say, I won't come back and bother you again. But then he does. He's like, I'm not going to come back to this house. I messed up. And then he's like, Nope, I'm going to come back and I'm going to break in. Yeah. I, I hated this character from the very beginning and the movie wants you to like it, but it gives you no reason to his very first line in the movie is I can't talk too long. I got to poo. <laughs> and first lie. And this is one of the problems with having this be not that. Look, I want to make this clear. Like m m different mental illnesses, like they, they're when there's a diagnosis, it's not a box that people can fit into. Like nobody is is the diagnosis that they have. So while there's like a the DSM or the Diagnostic Statistic Manual of Mental Illnesses, it's not to say that like okay, here's here's an illness of some sort, and this is what a person is, and their personality is going to be limited to what's in that box. Mm -hmm. But when you try to use a mental illness of some sort to go like, here's what someone's struggle is. I'm trying to portray some sort of difficulty that someone has, even if it doesn't fit into one of those diagnostical boxes or diagnostic boxes. The problem is you're, you're saying in a movie, someone's struggling with something, even if I'm making it up. 
And mm-hmm. what is charismatic about them is you're supposed to identify with or empathize with their struggle, but the struggle is shit. It's poorly written. It doesn't make any sense because it's not consistent at all. Then there's nothing compelling about that. I can't feel for this guy because I can't tell what he's struggling with, no matter how hard I try, because it's crap. It's it's not a thing in any way, even in the world of this movie, because it's so inconsistent. So instead of me being able to empathize with this guy and go like, yeah, he's hard to deal with. Yeah, he's frustrating. Yeah, he's making lots of mistakes. But it's understandable because he has this issue. You can't do that because the issue itself is not consistent enough in this movie to be able to grant, oh, I see why he's making the mistakes that he is. You can't because they're not consistent enough to show that, to demonstrate that. So instead, you have a guy doing terrible things with no good reason and not because he doesn't have the insight because he can even speak for himself and say, I shouldn't be doing this and then doing it and it makes no sense and I hate him. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, some people might see this as a compliment and some people might see it the way I mean it, (laughs) but the dialogue in this movie, sorry, I've switched to another point. The dialogue Mm -hmm. in this movie is very Shyamalan. Oh, it's atrocious. It's like I said for that last movie where it's dialogue that was written, but never said out loud till they were taping it. And in that movie, I guess there's enough ambiguity for me or possibility that it is actually translated in a way that I can... I can work with that there. Here, I'm like, I know Fred Durst knows English. I know it's his first language. And honestly, when it's in a Shyamalan movie, I'm like, this is here for the sake of the author trying to stroke himself off and being pretentious for the sake of pretension. Same thing here. It's like, oh, I'm so impressed with myself. Here's this dialogue. And I'm like, this is supposed to be deep. But what's embarrassing is you don't realize how bad you are at it. You suck. Plot holes are ridiculous. Like everything involving the girl, like his friend, the photographer girl. Right. Which why? So he says to the, the collection store guy, Oh, I'm going to a party with Hunter, but Dunbar tonight. And then he's like waiting outside of a fence for this girl to show up. And the girl shows up and she goes, did you bring the bolt cutters? And he's like, I brought scissors because he's dumb. Yeah. Right? That was he's, one of the things he doesn't know. Bolt cutters. I didn't know what that meant. Right. And she's like, all right, well, I guess you can just climb this fence. And basically he's sneaking into this party and she later takes credit for having got him into the party and he almost screwed everything up for her. And I'm just like, he didn't need you to at all, except for, Hey, here's where this party's happening. You didn't get him into this party. You didn't do anything. You just told him where it was and then pushed him over a fence. And then we're magically inside the building when you, when he got there. And then later in the same movie is mad at him for going to people's houses that she gives him the app to allow him to do oh, that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the other thing is that they totally change. It like seems like a rewrite situation where earlier he gets the idea of, oh, if I just go to Hunter Dunbar's house, I won't have to worry about meeting him at a party. And he goes, how do you find celebrities houses? And she goes, oh, why do you want to know? And he goes, you know, I just kind of want to know how you guys do it. And she goes, oh, there's an app. There's like a star map app, which is a stupid thing for him to even ask because I've never been to Hollywood, but I know there are maps to stars homes way back in the day. That's like literally a map star map. Like you, yeah. And so like the fact that there's an app for your phone. Okay. So uh, let me step back. So the guy who runs the collection store has Hunter Dunbar coming to his store the next night. And he tells Moose this, he goes, Oh, what was I supposed to do? Call you on your mobile? And I'm like, oh, I guess he doesn't have a phone, but he has a phone. He has a cell phone. 
like it's an iPhone because he can run apps on it and, and he uses it. And so like this guy who's supposed to be like his best customer, who's in love with this actor, this guy's like, you wanted me to call you on your moped or something. After that, he asked the girl, how did they find maps to the star's home? And she goes, oh, there's an app for that. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm going to download that. And she goes, all right, well, don't, don't be crazy. Don't be stupid with it. And then like two scenes later, He's like posted pictures of himself inside Hunter Dunbar's house and she comes by and she's like, how stupid are you? And she goes, you promised me you wouldn't or like she like completely changes the reason why she told him about the star map app as if she held the key to this city that he had no access to as if only the paparazzi have access to this app on the phone. Well, and, and she gave him access. Like she to had it. no reason to understand how he would use it. Mm-hmm. And the movie wants you to get on board with that. And it's it's dumb. And it's another character inconsistency because the girl is just as inconsistent as Moose is, where mm-hmm. she's helping him break into places. And then, as though she's as dumb as he is, expecting him not to break into places or not to even go there. It's yeah. this this movie all over the place is just inconsistent with every character. Like you can't make a movie that's about characters and that it's that's the primary purpose of it, which this movie is. Make no mistake about it because it's telling you from the beginning this movie is about this guy Moose mm-hmm. and his unbreakable spirit and it doesn't do characters well at all. It doesn't understand anything fundamental about characters, which is some degree of consistency, which yeah. is one thing that even though I don't understand what they're about, I'm going to use trained as an example. It's more, it's way more consistent than this. <laughs> the characters are like, okay, I don't know why they feel the way they feel, but they seem to feel this way most of the time. In this movie, these characters are all over the place. All of yeah. Trained is a vastly superior movie to the fanatic. And so when it comes to this woman who is his friend, first of all, there's no reason for them to be friends. At least in the in the world of the movie, there's nothing established as to why they're friends. Yeah. She's it's not established the- that like she uses him for anything. Like she seems like she's conniving, but they, they never establish that. Or like she abuses him in some way for like information about something but like he's the one using her and she just goes along with it i think if you say that she's using him you're actually putting more of an explanation as to motive than is actually in the movie i have Mm. no understanding as to why sure you might go well then she must be using him but that's not actually in the movie or she must actually really like him but you have no understanding as to why in the movie because even if it's just that she feels sorry for him that doesn't explain why then she's surprised that he's as dumb as he is when he is then you've got this other character this guy at the store let's go back to him for a minute who is mad at moose for thinking that he would be very attentive to or aware of moose's investment in this guy which is bullshit because he's like, hey, here's this jacket. I know how much you would want it. And by the way, I, which is weird. Okay, so I, like every other person in this movie, it's the one thing that's consistent about this movie. It's more consistent across characters than within characters. And here's the thing that every character has in common. They are unnaturally interested in Moose. 
Mm-hmm. They have no reason to be as invested as they are, yet they are. Everybody seems to care about him in one way or another. This guy yeah. is like, hey, I'm really into how much you love this guy, but I wouldn't remember or think to let you know that I'm actually having your favorite guy come to my store which I think would probably take a little bit of effort. In fact, I'm going to point out how in our own world, we, uh, uh, or I anyway, I won't lump you into this, took some interest in a star of a movie that we both really enjoyed. Mentioned to the stars, hey, if you have the time, we would love to have you talk on the show. And then one of them was like, hell yeah, I want to talk on your show, and then decided not to. (laughs) So anyway, you know, it's not necessarily that easy to, even if someone's not that famous, to like get them to show up on something that you have. This guy's having a super famous guy, apparently, come to his store and going through all this effort, but somehow doesn't think to mention to his favorite person who is a huge fan of this guy, hey, I'm going to have him in, in the store. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And meanwhile, while he's putting this effort into getting the star of something into his store, he's also getting a, a piece of memorabilia to sell to this guy and then doesn't mention to him. It doesn't make any sense. The girl friends with him for some reason doesn't make sense. There's some security guy who's really interested <laughs> I don't think in the security guard really exists. <laughs> the security guard who's really interested in moose and how he needs to stand up for himself and his character growth and then we've got these other guys who are really interested in moose they really want this guy who obviously isn't good at anything and what they and they kind of hate him for it but they're like we really need you to help us make money they care about moose not in that they care about his well-being but in that they're invested in him These guys who are like sort of bullies that are on his block are really invested in taunting him, but also getting him to work for them. And it doesn't make any sense. People would just possibly offer them. Yeah. Why is everybody in this movie so goddamn invested in this guy even being a thing? Especially when if you're going to try to make a a movie about Hollywood and how much it ruins people's lives, the point is kind of universally that if you go to Hollywood, chances are you're not going to get noticed at all. In this guy's Mm -hmm. case, he goes to Hollywood and everybody is aware of him. Everybody is very invested in him. And okay, sorry. Okay. There's, there's going to be another point with this inconsistency thing when we actually get into Hunter Dunbar. But Uh my point, as far as everybody even noticing him done, what were you going to say about? So I was going to say, I had two things about the security guard. One, he doesn't exist. Okay. He's just in in Moose's mind. Okay. You think this movie's way smarter than it is, but okay. (laughs) And then the other thought I had is that guy's not actually a security guard. That's just a costume he's wearing (laughs) and he's just another street performer. That may be my favorite fan theory so far. (laughs) (laughs) The other street, the, like the extreme street performer guy, who's like a drug addict or whatever. Yeah. Part of his shtick is to like, you know, like he fakes out, like people give him money for doing crazy magic tricks on the side of the street, you know? All right. But then like he's running a side scheme Uh with this other guy who's a pickpocket. Right. And then he has a falling out with the pickpocket guy. Yeah. And like they break up or something. Uh Uh-huh. And then the the magician comes over to Moose and he goes, hey, me and Slim uh, split up, so I need a, a second man to run my scheme. I need you to be that man. In what world could he expect? Like, is he expecting Moose to be his new pickpocket? Yes. It, 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 
Well, because Moose has demonstrated that he has the cunning of an expert thief. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn one of my complaints into a defense of this. Here's, okay. here's how. Not, not that it would work, but that in this world, it sort of makes sense. It, but again, this world is not a consistent place. Don't, don't get me wrong. This guy, it, this scam that they have going, it, it consists of this. He does a magic trick, which, by the way, is shitty, but it's distracting, I guess. It calls people's attention to him while the other guy goes and steals their wallets. Now, the yeah. way this would work, if it worked, would be, okay, everybody, I did my trick. Show's over. See you later. And then they walk away, none the wiser. They would right. not realize until, I don't know, maybe an hour later, maybe at the end of the night. Oh, shit. Where did my wallet go? That's how that would work if it worked. Instead, right. what they do is steal everyone's wallets and then ask them to reach into their pocket, get their wallet, <laughs> yeah. wallet out, and give them money. Yeah. Bringing their attention, not in the movie because the movie's stupid, and then they do this and somehow give him money without realizing yeah. their wallet's gone. But what would happen is they reach into their pocket immediately after having their wallet stolen and go, where's my wallet? I want to give you money. Hey, wait a minute. My wallet was just stolen. I think this meth head took my wallet. Yeah, that's how that would go. But yeah. this movie's terrible. Screw you, yeah. Fred Durst. Stop making movies. I don't care what Nick says about your other ones maybe being good. This was crap. <laughs> and there's no, excuse, uh, there's no excuse for it. That's the problem. There's no excuse for it. You've got the money and the resources and apparently the intelligence to be able to make a movie. These aren't hard things to figure out. You know, like we're catching these terrible atrocities as we're watching the movie. You had a whole however many months of writing a script and apparently like three people were involved in writing the script, right? You've got 900 yeah. producers, people just going, uh, this is my best understanding of it. They went, eh, I can throw a little bit of money at this and I might make money back because it's got John Travolta's name on it, Fred Durst's name on it, which if you're investing because you think that counts for something, then fair enough. The logic is oh, I don't have to put much money into it, but I might, might, might make something back, which means there are at least enough eyes on this that they could say, hey, wait a minute. This is stupid. Yeah. With the characters or with any of these things and with something like this, we're like, wait a minute, this scam doesn't make any sense. The amount of producer credits at the beginning of the movie is like half the runtime. Yeah. I mean, half of Hollywood was involved in producing this movie. Yeah. I, I mean, it was in, insane the amount of people involved in this and that just allowed this to happen. Yeah. All right. So let's do you have a few things about Devin Sawa? Because oh, uh, at some point. Yeah, <laughs> I'm uh, so like, yeah, I, I'm on Devin Sawa's side for about 90 percent of this movie. He's a dick and kind of a washed up actor in the movie like i don't know anything about actual devon saw other than i haven't seen him in anything since idle hands which is a great movie was but, uh, was devon sawa in the guest i don't know all right i never I, saw that i'll look it up so like his character he's like a piece of shit like and he's washed up but he's still got money and he's still working as an actor in hollywood and most actors like he signs memorabilia and he does book signings and he has a nice house and like a nice area and he has a family and his family life isn't great i guess he's divorced from his wife but he seems like he's trying to be a good father to his kid and he's got some issues with i guess a little bit of 
a little bit of substance abuse. Like he's drinking beer and taking sleeping pills to like sleep every night. So that's not a great combination, but it's not like he's abusing stuff and he's like good to his son, except for when he forgets that he's supposed to watch him which the wife yells at him about. He's oh, not wait, hang a on. great. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry to jump in here, but I'm, I'm looking through his, his filmography and it uh-huh. looks like he was Stan in the Eminem video Stan. So this movie's got layers I didn't even know about. <laughs> wow. He still ain't called a rote. The, the irony. Oh, wow. Suddenly this is brilliant. No, it's still shit, but that's interesting. I guess he's been sleeping with the maid and the maid is like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, that's totally fine. But like, he also seems to care about her. Like when Moose is like in their yard and she freaks out about it and he's like, he kind of brushes it aside and then sees that she's shaken. He's like, Hey, 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 it's okay. It's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get it figured out. And then he goes out and talks to the gardeners. Like, have you seen anything weird? And the gardeners like, no, the, the maid saw somebody sneaking around the yard. Can you keep a, a lookout for anything weird? And he goes, sure. Also, it's starting to rain. Can I leave now? <laughs> it's like, but like he's he's like a piece of garbage but like he's not like an awful person and he definitely doesn't deserve what happens to him in this movie in any way uh what happens to him as far as moose goes i just don't understand like the movie at the end of the movie i feel like the movie's supposed to be like yeah get what you deserve devin sawa finally finally you got your comeuppance where it's like the opposite feeling you have at the end of the gentleman where you're like yeah everybody got theirs that deserved it this movie you're like why is he in the back of a police car and moose is happy on the street as like a a, an even more of a freak now Uh, i just don't understand what they were going for that's you know it's some of that has to do there's like eight ideas thoughts i have right now about what you're what you're talking about because you everything complainer every point about this movie is going to hit on like nine different problems i honestly and i and i hate saying this because there's actually some stuff in this that like okay what i'm what i'm gonna say is and i only mean it like not even half-heartedly is that like the hunter dunbar character is the most likable character in this movie yeah i agree with that but my point is and you should and you should because every other character in this movie is terribly written and he's not written all that well either. He's not completely consistent, but he's the most consistent, which I think is why he ends up being the most likable. Now, if you're supposed to like him at all, it would be because Fred Durst identifies with this guy mm. because apparently this movie's actually based on some sort of encounter he actually had with a fan. Oh, but, really? And I'm reading into Fred Durst's head a lot here, but n- not because I know him or, or, or actually have any thoughts about that I understand him, but just like based on this movie itself, looking at it in sort of a meta way and try to read between the lines, not the lines it wants you to read between, but mm-hmm. like just looking at going like, what what would be motivating anyone to possibly make this? And the best explanation I can come up with is Fred Durst had this encounter with a fan feels some sort of complicated relationship with fans and wants to seem like he's holding himself accountable by making a movie in which the fan is the hero, but also in doing this has some sort of accidental humanity put into the actual actor in the movie who has fans. Anyway, it's all done poorly. So I think we end up accidentally appreciating the actor just because he's accidentally the best written character because Fred Durst happens to be a famous person. (laughs) 
anyway, the consistency in him, even though he's sort of like he's supposed to be a bad guy, I'm like, actually, he's accidentally the most fleshed out character and he ends up being the most likable, even though he's in a position of assaulting, in a way, his employee. There's nothing good about the fact that he is pressuring this woman into having sex with him. Now, you said it seems like he cares about her. And I think that that's because he realizes he he calls one of his friends at some point and he's like, oh man, I have to walk you through all the plot points of this movie. So the first one I'm going to talk about is that I, I kissed my maid again. And I'm like, uh, and he calls oh, himself yeah. an idiot. He's like, cause I'm an idiot. And I'm like, you are, but you're also an asshole because there's a power dynamic as her employer that doesn't just make you an idiot. You're a bad person. Like that is, uh, well, it was funny because I'm saying like, he's actually the best person in the movie, but like, this is not just a decision that's like, oh, I kissed my ex who I shouldn't be messing around with because it's complicated or one of my friends who I know isn't interested in me. And so I, I should really give up on trying to make this a relationship when it's not. It's, I have a power dynamic as her employer and I keep doing stupid sexual assault kind of crap. Mm. And she's like trying to let him down easy because she's his employee. So she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I can't do this anymore as though I enjoyed it before, but I can't do it anymore. It's like, no, no, no. You were pressured to. You felt like you had to and you're trying to put some sort of boundary up and you're trying to be nice about it. Hey, dude, when you tell your friend that you kissed her, it's not just, oh, I'm an idiot. It's like, wow, I have a real problem here. I need to get some help because I am assaulting my employee and this is a terrible thing to be doing. Then, because I already touched on another issue here, let me tell you about this guy who keeps showing up at my house because, again, I'm walking you through the plot points of the movie and honestly, it just doesn't even need to happen. Again, it's one of these places where people are way too aware of moose. Yeah, you had a stalker, dude, and you should probably do something about it. But even when the maid brings it up, he's like, oh, really? That's That sucks. I'm not really concerned about this guy, and now I'm going to kiss you. And then when he's talking to his friend, he's like, oh, man, I just can't help but talking about Moose. <laughs> I didn't take this seriously at all before. But let me tell you about how there's also a guy stalking me. Oh, this movie's exhausting to talk about. It's just, it's got so many errors. Yeah. I feel like we could go on for a, another hour about this, but we got to wrap up the show. We uh, we do. <laughs> I imagine we'll do a commentary track on this movie at some point. Which that might be us. the best way to do it. Thank God yeah. you watched it the same week, though, because <laughs> I would. So this would be interminable. I have so many notes still, and I know we can't go through them all. And God, if we had to do it twice. Anyway, all right. Good point. All right. I'll, I won't say all anything right. else. It's time to get down to our. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, we got to do that real quick. Hold on a second. I got to turn off the washing machine before it starts. <laughs> that was Nick's cue to not be doing the show too long. His his washer was his cue that he's, he's been doing too much show. Okay, so it's time for our movie ranking list. Matt, I got your list open. Let's crank through these. First up for you is Shaun of the Dead. I think you're going to give this a three and a half. All right. Story, two and a half. No, I'll give it a three. Acting three and a half. Yeah. Actually, you know, it probably deserves more than that. I'll, I'll go with a four. I don't think there's a, a problem with the acting. It's the characters. I just don't like them. Pacing. This movie actually drags a little bit here and there, but overall it's pretty good. So I'm going to go three and a half. 
aesthetics, I think it's really well shot actually. So I'll give it a four and enjoyment. I'll give it a three. Your final score for that comes out to be a three and a half for it. Okay. Which, uh, all right. I was right on. Next up, you talked about poltergeist and I think you're going to give this a three and a half as well. All right. Story three acting three and a half pacing this movie actually moves really quickly maybe because there is so much stuff that just happens in it uh so four aesthetics hmm i think it's really good four and enjoyment three and a half and those numbers come out to be a 3.6 all right the gentleman i think you're gonna give this movie a four I'll, I'll bet you're darn close on that one too. Story, I'm going to give it a four. It hangs together pretty well. There's just unnecessary stuff. Acting, I guess acting's probably, other than the narration part, I think the acting's great. So I'm going to give it a four and a half. Pacing, I took a break at some point during it, but overall I feel like the pacing was really good. So I'm going to give it a four. Aesthetics are great. I'll give that a four and a half and enjoyment. I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to give it a four and a half. I feel like I enjoyed it less once I was talking about it. But if I just go back to the experience in the movie, yeah, it was great. Yeah, you gave it a 4.3. Next up, trained. I think you're going to end up giving this a two. Okay. Which, as I said that out loud, feels much higher than it should be. (laughs) Story. I am... It's so hard to pinpoint anything here. Uh, I don't know exactly what it was about, so I'm going to give it a two with a question mark. (laughs) Acting, I'm going to give it a two with a question mark. Pacing, how do I measure that? It felt like exactly as long as it was, so I'm going to give the pacing a three. Aesthetics, you know, I'm going to give a little bit of a curve to this because given... What I'm, I guess I'm making some assumptions here, but what I'm, what I'm going to assume is a very low budget. I'm going to give the aesthetics a three and then enjoyment. I was pretty entertained. Again, if this were, well, it wasn't a longer movie than it was. So if, you know, if it ever is going to be full length, I assume it will be pretty different. Um, for what it was, enjoyment, 17 minutes, uh, I'm going to give it a two and a half. Wow. Your score for a train is two and a half. All right. Well, Good, wow. good try there, Yuri Rutnam. Okay. Finally, for you, we have Fanatic, and I think you're going to give this movie a one and a half. Oh, man. We need to add a sixth dimension that is anger. <laughs> Story, 0.5. Acting, Jesus, how do I measure this? Two. <laughs> pacing. It's weird. <laughs> Tell me about it, man. Um, yeah. Pacing. <laughs> was i bored at all no i was not how, i what is up with this i can't I, I i don't know how to answer these pacing two and a half how do you pace nothing aesthetics there was nothing in particular to be enjoyed seeing this um like looking at it so i'm gonna go with a one enjoyment <laughs> fudge four and a half Really? <laughs> oh my god. I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed the experience of watching it with my You're girlfriend. You're going to watch it. You're going to watch it again. Oh, you know, I'm like definitely going to end up seeing it again, probably with you. I don't know that. Yeah. Or or like with, huh, this might fall into the so so bad it's good kind of thing where it's like the room where I'm watching it and just like it's Oh wait, hold on. 
who is who says this? It, maybe it's uh, we hate movies. I'm not sure, but like there's some podcasts I listen to where they refer to things as seeing is believing. Yeah, is uh, that we hate we movies? These guys say that. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to give them some credit because I really appreciate having that way to measure this, and that's what the enjoyment is about here. It's it's a seeing is believing experience, and on that level, it is up there. The room is a five. This movie is, you know, it knocked down the enjoyment thing to a four for me. Okay. Because it's not, it's not quite there, but there you go. Yeah. Enjoyment is right. four in the seeing is believing. Your final score for Fanatic is an even two. Is that what you guessed? I said a one and a half. Oh, okay. Now on to my list. Yeah. What do you think I will give the hole in the ground? Huh. Well, you seem pretty mixed on it. I think you're going to end up giving it, it sounded like you really appreciated the atmosphere and the way it was shot. So I'm going to say you're going to end up giving it a three. Plot for this movie, it depends on which part of the movie we're at. I'm going to give it a three for plot. Okay. Acting, I'm going to give a four. I thought the acting was very good. The pacing, movie kind of cruises by. And then uh, we watch the entire credits because there's like this real haunting song they sing during the credits. And I enjoyed that. Which I guess falls under aesthetics. Oh, you know what? I meant to say something about that when I was reviewing it last week, because that was a really interesting thing was this song at the end. And I ended up listening through the whole song too. I think after that, I turned it off. So I don't know how much credits were still left, if any at all. But I did listen to the whole song because it's a cool song. It is a cool song. And we were trying to, like, I was asking Siri to like, what song is this to try and figure out who it was? Because it sounds like the girl from Of Monsters and Men, but it's not. Apparently, it's just some Irish singer uh, i wish i could recall her name but i don't but anyway for pacing i'm gonna give this movie a three aesthetics it looks really good a lot of like like you said muted colors and everything has like this texture to it so i enjoyed that so i'm gonna give that a four and then enjoyment of this movie i kind of i just wanted more from it and i'm gonna give it a two and a half and most of that is just for tension and then it gets a, a lot of knocks for missed opportunities so well, my final score for that comes out to be a 3.3 that's pretty good i also talked about the lorax this week which i had forgotten about what do you think i'm gonna give that a two and a half i have no idea 2.5 <laughs> plot for this movie i'm gonna give it a two and a half it's pretty basic it's but it's fine the acting i'm gonna give it a three ed helms is good zach efron's fine taylor swift's not so great but she's i like taylor swift pacing movie flies along i'm gonna give it a three and a half doesn't waste a whole lot of time until the climax the climax is dragged out a little bit aesthetic it looks great i wish it was grimier or had more of that dirty dr seuss look so i'm gonna give it a three and a half and then enjoyment i'm gonna give it a three and a half it's it's fine it was a good kids movie my children seem to enjoy it wow my final score for that is 3.2 now fate stay night one because <laughs> i don't remember the rest of the title what do you think i'm gonna give this movie does it include all the work you did afterwards to watch other stuff and enjoy it retrospectively yeah yeah okay yeah. yeah i think at the end of the day you're gonna give it a 3.5 plot for this movie <laughs> it's, it's an interesting plot <laughs> I'm going to give it a three. The voice acting is fantastic. I'm going to give it a four. Pacing. The movie is very confusing. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on uh, for much of it until I, I looked it up. And then even then I was like, what's going on? And then the movie has like a credit sequence where it shows you stuff that will happen in the movie. And I thought that it was flashbacks to other things. Anyway, pacing, I'm going to give it a two. The aesthetic the movie looks fantastic. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. And then enjoyment. I had a lot of fun watching this. I'm going to give it a four for enjoyment. And my score is a 3.4 for that. Uh, now, Trained. What do you think I will give Trained? Wow. 
I think you're going to give it a 1.5. Plot for train. There really isn't any. The movie makes you kind of decide what the plot is. And I like that, but at the same time, I don't. And the story is lacking, so... But talking about it, I did appreciate it a little more, so I will give it a 2. The acting is atrocious. I'm going to give it a 1. Pacing, even though it was 17 minutes long, it felt like an hour and a half, so I'm going to give that a one and a half. Really? Yeah, it felt really long to me. Okay. It just kept going on. The aesthetics, some of the sound is god-awful, some of the visuals are god-awful, but on the other hand, some of the visuals are really good, and some of the sound is very good, and if this is Yuri Rutman's first time really getting out there doing something, he's got an eye for a few things, but it just needs some work. Uh, so I'm going to give his aesthetic a two and a half, because there were some things that I did enjoy, and then some of that I don't know might be stock footage, so I could be giving his credit uh, someone else's credit to him, but uh, his name's on the paper, so there you go. Enjoyment. I enjoy talking about this movie, and my wife and I have enjoyed talking about it a lot, so I'm going to give it a... F- I think I'm going to give it a three and a half for enjoyment, which which feels really high, but... And then my final score for that comes out to be a two. Okay. Fanatic. What do you think I'm going to give that? Man, I... Oh, good God, I don't know. Hold on. Overall... Man, it's it's hard to know what's going to come of the conflict between enjoyment and hatred. I think you're going to end up giving it a two overall. So plot for this movie. It was terrible. I'm not entirely sure what it was supposed to be. This movie gets a, a one for plot. Like, even if it was poorly executed, it's still not coherent. Like, I'm not entirely sure what this movie is about, because what it becomes about is not what it establishes at the beginning. So, whatever. Yeah, I don't think it's doing what it's trying to do at all. The acting, I'm going to give it three, I think. The photographer girl is awful. The guy who owns the store is awful. But Travolta, Travolta is giving it everything he's got for some reason. His performance is more consistent than the characters written. I'll, I'll give him that. Like, it's it's a terrible performance, but he's really trying hard. He has a better idea of what the character is than the script yeah. is. And Devin Sawa is consistent throughout the movie, too. Like, he's kind of the same guy. And all his interactions with Travolta are all at inappropriate times. When they show Devin Sawa at work, like, yeah. when he's, like, working the table, he's doing, like, the, hi, it's so nice to meet you kind of thing. And then Travolta accosts him while he's dealing with his wife and kid. And his reaction to that is... Pretty fair. Perfectly, perfectly reasonable. Yeah. And then even when, like, he catches him outside of his house, I think he reacts in a way that a lot of people would react. Like, get away from my house. Yeah. And because he's got his kid on his bike there, you know, like, he's, like, defending himself. So, uh, you know, I, I gotta give it a three for acting. Pacing, one. <laughs> did jill watch this with you she did oh good she despised this she hated every moment of it i'm I'm glad you at least she didn't i'm not glad for her sake but i'm glad for your sake that you had her there to be able to talk to yeah i am too even though she hated every moment of it she didn't she didn't think it was fun like she was laughing a bunch but but she didn't like it the way that you and i liked it yeah aesthetics i thought it was well shot the sound is good the special effects of him getting stabbed in the eye look pretty bad but like when his fingers get shot off i was like uh cool i'm gonna give the aesthetics a three i'm gonna someday come back to that shooting off the hand thing but not now i mean it looks bad but i was like oh cool his fingers blew off (laughs) wow he has no reflexes even just the physical kind his hand just enjoyment of this 
<laughs> enjoyment of this movie, I'm gonna watch it again. Oh yeah, I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it a three and a half for enjoyment. Okay, and that's a final score of two point three, which is higher than Trained. Wow. I didn't see that coming. All right. If you would like to see our list, you can check out our website, thisweekinfilm.com. You'll find a link there to our letterbox page, which keeps everything neat and organized for us. And you can also find out anything else you want to know about the show on thisweekinfilm.com. Matt, anything for Midwest Matt recommends this week? Nothing. Great. Hey, if you want to send us an email and tell us what you watched in film this week, you can do so by sending it to thisweekinfilmpodcast at gmail.com. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk about what you said on the show. Other than that, I guess if that is the end of the reel, we'll see you next week in film. Well, hey, you know what? And, and shout out to Yuri Rutnam. Since you recommended we watch the movie, you probably are going to hear this and, and probably going to maybe be able to answer some of the questions that we have. So if you want to send us a message or response or whatever, we're totally open to that. And last but not least, judge movies, but not people. What do I say? Is that it? <laughs> judge, yeah, judge movies, not people. <laughs> I got a hard time with that because I've judged a lot of people related to the fanatic, <laughs> and I really, really dislike the performances and essence that comes across of Rob Riggle too. <laughs> when you mentioned him earlier, I was like, oh god. So you know, I, like I, I, I feel like a bit of a hypocrite, but you know, judge movies. Try not to judge people. I still love the theme from Mission Impossible 2 by Limp Biscuit. I think that song is kick-ass. It is. It's, it, there are some things that Limp Biscuit's done that I have enjoyed. I'll admit it. Limp Biscuit was great till all they did was sing about how great they are. Now I know why you want to hate me. Cause hate is all the words he